As we prepare for the scriptures this morning, you're going to hear one from the book of Psalms. And this is about how do you build a healthy house, particularly when it comes to our faith. And the second are difficult words to hear to some extent about what are the signs of the end of the age. What if, as Tom reads that gospel reading this morning, what if it doesn't mean some apocalyptic end of time? What if it means something else? And there are two words at the end of that gospel lesson that I think spark something that I'll talk about a little bit. Tom? Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build, in, build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord guards the city, the guard keeps watch in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives sleep to his beloved. Sons are indeed a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the sons of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to you. As you are able, let's stand for the reading of the gospel. As he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings? Then Jesus asked him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. When he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will this be, and what will be the sign that all these things are about to be accomplished? Then Jesus began to say to them, Beware that no one lead you astray. Many will come in my name and say, I am he, and they will lead you astray. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is still to come. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. This is but the beginning of the birth pangs. This is God's word. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Well, again... It, just spent all week kind of looking back and looking at last Sunday and seeing what a beautiful combination that that was. Not only of, of two different kinds of styles of worship, um, I think much more to the traditional because we were celebrating 50 years, but the combination of musicians, that beautiful piece, Ellen, that you wrote for that event was, was truly wonderful. Angie, we missed you. <laughs> we did. Uh, but I, we understand you were in an important place, and, and I absolutely got that. But, 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 but to look at the combination of faces and histories, to, to see those charter members stand as they could, and, and to, to watch in just rapt attention of the video. If you, if you didn't see it, you know, I want to make sure that we have that running at some point again, uh, maybe between services or after second service. It was, it was so interesting to see the little boys and little girls and how they were dressed. Do you remember those days? Do you remember the little girls in the white hats and the, or the hats and the white gloves? 
Remember that? My sister hated that about that age. And then the young men in their, you know, six-year-old suits. Everybody with, you know, shining shoes and a nice, really narrow, narrow tie. And all the suits were dark. But then, looking out in the congregation as we see it now, look, look at what we have, this amazing, amazing group of diversity here. As I talked to the kids about the shoes at first service, and we talked about the role of each of these sets of shoes, and they seem to, they seem to focus for some reason on this one. We talked about the health of the running shoes and the fun of the water shoes and the hiking in the wilderness and the work boots and sometimes you have to be dressed up and all those things. But, but then came this one. What? <laughs> Look at Dorothy right now, just going. This is as me as it gets right here. It just is. I, I love these boots, and these boots have seen probably 15 years of history. And suddenly the sole came off, and, and I, I said to the kids this morning, I, I just felt like a duck walking around. Cause went, went, went. And where does this boot fit in the church? I mean, if you look at these shoes, all the things that we do maybe are represented by some of these shoes, even this one. Sometimes what we need is a little duct tape to help mend us to keep us moving forward, to be able to do what we need to do. Even this boot is represented in the church, and even that boot was represented last Sunday in that celebration. You know, which one best fits you as you look at your role in the church and what we're trying to do? The other thing about last Sunday is it, it was it's absolutely apparent to me that we're not done. We're not done. What began 50 years ago, and I will tell you, one of the celebrations going on right now as I speak is First United Methodist Church in Olympia is celebrating 160 years today. And you know what? Joanne Coleman Campbell and I had a conversation last week, and you know what she said? 160 years later, we're not done. We're not done. As you heard the scripture that Tom read, um, and, and particularly that scripture about the end of the age, we have a tendency to immediately jump to some apocalyptic ending of time. When in fact, what if that wasn't what that was about? What if that could speak to us today about where we are, not just as a church, but as a world? Do you notice the list of those things that were predicted that would be signs of the end of the age? But if you look at that list of things, it's an amazing list that go on around us all the time and have from the beginning of time. Wars and rumors of wars, all you have to do is look right now at Palestine and Israel and what's happening there. You look at other places where buildings have been destroyed or, or other places where there's no stone left one upon the other. I, I believe that sometimes if we look at even from the point that two human beings occupied a fairly narrow space on the earth, one always looked at the other and said, there's something that you have that I want and I'm going to do anything I can to take it. It's amazing. We live in that time even today. And what were the last two words in the midst of that scripture? Do you remember? Birth pangs. What if for Jesus it was more about birth pangs 
than it was about anything that preceded that. That what he was doing is giving us some sense of a dichotomy, some sense of death and life, ending and beginning. You know, I don't, I don't want to get overly organic in, in worship, um, but, but if we were to look at birth, uh, it, it's such a very clean, right? Just uh, no problem, no struggles, no pain at all, right? I, I mean, I just, I've never given birth, so I don't know. So that would be no, right? Uh, although I have watched birth, and it's anything but that. It's anything but that. Birth always requires struggle. It begins, hopefully, in the best of situations between two people who deeply love each other. But then, as you are growing in birth, as time goes on, discomfort happens. Does it not? I'm looking at my wife. (laughs) And then comes that moment of birth. And birth is messy. It's anything but clean. Birth is painful. Birth requires struggle, often, unless you get the good drugs. (laughs) But birth does. It just does. But what comes out of that event is this hope, this hope that this miracle, this living miracle, can become all that it was meant to become. This living miracle can become all that it was meant or had the possibility of becoming. Jesus does this incredible comparison between these two things. And I keep looking at the church. I spent two days last week as we met as the Board of Ordained Ministry and looked at what, is, what are the needs of the church. And the bishop came and presented this list of eight things, all of which had to do with you know, kind of the entrepreneurial, new entrepreneurial look of, of any healthy church. And I decided that it was okay to argue with him about that. <coughs> that not every pastor and not every church can, can be entrepreneurial. What if there are churches out there that simply need a pastor? What if churches look more like this than like this? look more like this than like this. Might we need more than entrepreneurs to deal with that? Might we need people who have a heart for relationships and people no matter what their situation may be? This is not just some apocalyptic prophecy. What if it is about where we are Today And what if, until we come to terms with what is at the foundation of who and what we are as a church, we will never understand what it takes to move ahead. If you look at the scriptures, not only the Tom read, but these other two, I, I want to walk through these because one of the things that those of you that are in my class have, have heard is that somehow in the midst of everything that Jesus brought was this consistent secret message upon which everything else is built. Everything. And so it took them five or six weeks for me to finally reveal to them what I thought the secret message of Jesus was. You get it on one Sunday morning. You can just be really thankful about that. But here it is. If you turn to Luke 
and that third chapter. What you have is John the Baptist coming out of the desert, right? In an incredible way, coming out of the desert and pointing and pointing at the one who is to come and saying, this is what that one is going to bring. It brings us this incredible definition of what Jesus is to become. I bet there's more to it than that. But let's go through those. And if you have your bulletin, here's the time to fill in those first five blanks. These are what I'm now calling the high five. Okay? Here's what it says. The voice of one crying out. There should be a colon there. You've heard me say this before. The voice of one crying out, colon, in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. The crooked shall be made straight and the rough ways made smooth. Let's say it again. The voice of one crying out, colon. Every time there's a colon, and if you look back at Isaiah where the scripture is quoted, you will find a colon there, which means there's a list to come. In the wilderness of our lives, or the lives of those with whom we come into relationship. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight the paths that will lead directly to an understanding of God. Make his paths straight. For all the valleys of life, those dark places where we all struggle, they'll be filled. Every mountain and hill, those places in our lives where we are overcome by the obstacles before us, those will be made low. Those places where we can't even see around the next corner, the crooked places, if we understand what's coming and what is possible, those will be made straight. And those rough places that we go through in life, might there be ways for those to become smooth. Wow, that's amazing stuff. But if we were to stop right there and just kind of look ahead, if you have that Bible open, look ahead at what then happens. Jesus then gets baptized. Then his family history is named. Then what does he do? Doesn't he go directly from there out into the hottest place, into the desert? And what's the symbolic nature of Jesus going into the desert but to be refined by fire, to look inward at what's going on in his own life, those places of temptation that have to be dealt with before he is able to come to the next piece, and that's where we're headed right now. He couldn't go directly from John pointing to him without that inward search before he moved and went home to claim his ministry. But then he does go home. And that's where we're going now. Those next seven pieces, the sacred seven, come as Jesus goes to his home church, his synagogue, and the scroll of Isaiah is given to him. And he opens it up and he reads these words. This is the next seven on your bulletin. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me 
to bring good news to the poor. God has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Let me say it again. God's Spirit, that living, creating, healing, loving, directing Spirit of God is upon me because God has anointed me, even appointed me to bring good news to the poor. I wonder what that might look like for the poor. God has sent me, us, to proclaim release to the captives, anyone who is bound, recovery of sight to anyone who is blinded by anything that prevents them from seeing and being filled with God, to let the oppressed go free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor once all these things are accomplished. This is amazing stuff. But here's the deal, friends. What we often do as we look at these words is only being applied to Jesus. What if these were applied to each of us? What, what happened with Jesus first is, is so John points and then Jesus immediately goes out into the desert. Well, might it be important for even us as it was for him to go inward first, to look into our own souls and see where this list engages us personally. What if it went something like this? Or what if we asked these kinds of questions? Where are those places in my life where I'm still in the wilderness? Where are those places in my life where I feel like I'm in the wilderness and just crying out? What is preventing that path to God to not be straight? What are the deep valleys that are going on right now in my life? Or what are those obstacles that I just feel like I can't face anymore? Those mountains and hills. What are those? Places where I can't see around the corner or the, I don't want to walk the road anymore because it just feels so rough. There is no question in my mind but every single one of us have those things in our lives. Isn't that the purpose of our relationship with God and isn't that the purpose of our relationship with each other? That what we do is we bring these things to each other so that we can be that God presence that helps pull us up out of the valleys or help us if we can't remove that mountain to at least overcome it summit it and get to the other side. Isn't that the role of the church? Isn't that what God is seeking for us? Where do we find the Spirit? Have we engaged in that? Have we spent time in allowing God's Spirit to come into us so that we can look at these things? And, and by the way, where do we see our own spiritual poverty? Until we see our own spiritual poverty, there's no way for us to move forward. Gosh, 
Where am I bound and in need of release? Where am I blind and in need of clear sight? Where am I oppressed or where am I oppressing someone else? What can I do right now to bring the year of the Lord's favor? But it begins first, inwardly. That's our desert place. And until we do that hot, sticky, hard work, it's very difficult to move and do it for others. Hmm. Are you doing that work? Then this becomes the guide for us in the next phase, which is not only in this community, but the community just beyond these doors. As we identify those places of wilderness and those lives around us, straight paths that can bring hope of God and hope of life for others. Where are the valleys around us in this community? The mountains, the crooked, the rough places. Where can we be God, spirit, that can bring hope to those lives or, or good news to the poor or proclaim release for those who are bound and captive, recovery of sight to the blind. Where are those that are blind around us that need that sight or the oppressed how are we bringing the year of the Lord's favor this year as we make this turn toward the next 50 years into the lives of Bellevue and Issaquah, Renton and Seattle <clears throat> and other places? Then we look into the world. We look into the world with these same things in mind. Do you see how this works? It begins inwardly first. It did for Jesus. And aren't we calling ourselves followers of Jesus. This is not easy work. This is hard work. And oh, by the way, isn't that why we come to church? Not just to hear some sermon by some pastor, but to provide this for each other and to have opportunities to do this work in the midst of the world. Why are we going to Crossroads on Tuesday night? And whether you serve turkey or corn or mashed potatoes and gravy doesn't really matter. What if you become the voice of hope for someone in that room by just sitting with them and having a little piece of pumpkin pie together? Why do we provide presents for children at Imagine Housing and Hope Link? Isn't it to do some of this work? And I can go down the list of everything we do, including why did three women give up so much time to go to Ethiopia? Wasn't it to try and do this work? Wow. This will be the foundation of what we do. This will be the foundation of what we do in our new mission and vision statement, lives it out. Here are these words. This was adopted officially by the Leadership Council last Tuesday night. We are Aldersgate. And I want to remind you what Aldersgate is. And believe me, no one else in this community understands what Aldersgate is. And I don't mean the church. I mean the experience or that incredible chapel in England. But remember what happened to John Wesley at Aldersgate. But his heart was strangely warmed by
by something much greater than himself. And it changed his life. And everything he did after that life-changing experience was truly anointed. We are Aldersgate, a United Methodist Church growing in faith, love, and service. Growing in faith, love, and service. A Christian community where all are welcome. And welcome to gather and serve. Welcome to search and find. Welcome to help and heal. And welcome to laugh and love. What a rich statement. It better be motivational. (laughs) Man, this is incredible. A year's work on the part of a vision task force. But that doesn't end it. Because here are the other three elements, these three evaluative questions for everyone who becomes a part of this church, member or not. These three questions. Am I engaged in a worship experience, a study or class that helps me grow in faith? Am I connecting with people in trusting, meaningful, life-renewing relationships? How's that going for you so far? Am I offering myself to God by serving people in need? If you were, I close with this thought, if you were to look, and if you still have your Bibles open, look at the headings that follow Jesus at the synagogue. Because what it creates is a dilemma for us. An incredible dilemma. Because once Jesus rolled up the scroll and said these amazing words, today this is fulfilled in your hearing, he rolls up the scroll, he hands it back, they're all praising him, until he then says that, oh, by the way, it's not just about you the chosen. You see yourself as the chosen few. It's not just about you. It's about everybody, including those you hate and those who have harmed you and those who you've struggled with and those with whom you strongly disagree and those you believe are going to hell. Wow. And suddenly for them, the stones upon which they built their faith are crumbling. And they get a little angry. And they take him out to a cliff at the edge of the city and are ready to throw him over that cliff to kill him because of those words. And he walks away. It's a real struggling part of the faith. If you're a Democrat, how do you really feel about Republicans? If you're a Republican, how do you really feel about those Democrats? If you're... If you're Wealthy, how do you really feel about the poor? If you're white, how do you really feel about those that aren't? If you're United Methodist, how do you feel about those Catholics? I can go down that list. And friends, there's only one way that I know to overcome those issues. And that is to have the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of God, continually renewing your soul. Otherwise, 
we don't have a chance to deal with the people we need to be dealing with or fulfill the call that we're being called to fulfill. So is the Spirit of God not just on you, but in you? Have you done the hard inward work that will allow that outgrowth to blossom? Are you just one of these shoes? And maybe for all of us, we're all these and more. All that said, I close with this thought. God is ready to birth something really special in this church. God is ready to birth something really special in this church. But it will require us to do this work. Will you pray with me? God of creation, you have set before us not only a scriptural foundation, but truly an incredible mission and vision. My prayer is that you continue to not only unite us, but to ignite us. That we look at these two pieces of scripture and see how foundational they are for everything that we do. That you clearly guide us not just as a corporate body or as a church, but helping us to remember that everything, including the function of this building, has to do with these two scriptures. Lord, I praise you for this church. I thank you to be on this journey together with them. I praise you that you are bringing about new birth, again, built on a incredibly powerful 50-year foundation. I pray that we can think ahead and that people 50 years from now at our centennial will be able to look back and simply say they served God and others well. Guide us into that time. All this we ask in Christ's name. Amen.